we're going to kick off a brand new series called The Ripple Effect. Everybody say The Ripple Effect. The Ripple Effect, and it's really a, a brief series that we're going to do over these next couple of weeks that we only really, we talk about this about one time a year, taking on this topic, but it's looking at the Word of God and realizing that there's a principle, if you will, that God gives us, commands us in Scripture from the Old Testament through the New. You see it from Genesis to Revelation that ultimately unlocks the world of spiritual growth and blessing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just grow incrementally or grow seasonally or grow occasionally, I wanna be constantly growing. Anybody else wanna constantly be growing, be, be learning, be developing, be strengthening? But what we realize is that the things that bring lasting growth and sustaining growth in our life is never linked to one decision one time. I, I remember it was last year, I shared candidly in the couple times I got to speak last year about last year I decided it was gonna be the year I was gonna get, you know, I was gonna get serious about my health, right? I'm what they call a skinny fat. I might look like I'm in shape, but I get winded going up the stairs. You know what I mean? It's just like, don't let this physique fool you. All of you can probably outrun me. And, and I remember last year, I'm like, you know what? It, the, the, the insides don't match the packaging. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean? And so I want to feel good. I don't want to just look good. I want to feel good, right? And so I remember making the decision to get into the gym because if you go to any health professional and you say, I want to get in shape, whether you're trying to lose weight or gain weight, whether you're trying to build stamina or whatever it may be, they always start with the same two steps. And what is that? You got to look at your diet and exercise. And that's really easy to do for a day, but it's really hard to keep on doing. Come on, everybody. How many of you have started a diet just to to quit that diet a few hours later. Come on, everybody, right? You know, or, or you said, you know what, I'm gonna get serious about my health. So you picked up those dumbbells and you go, you know what, I'm feeling all right, you know? And I don't know that I wanna go through the discipline, the continued decision to see lasting growth. I saw this very humbly um, in January because I heard a pastor talk about one of the things that he does at the beginning of every year is he goes back through his photo album of the year prior. I was like, that's kind of cool. He sits down and he goes through every photo that he took from the previous year just to take time to remember. And I don't know about you, but we run pretty fast these days. And at times we don't remember the things that God has been doing in our lives all along the way. So I remembered getting out my phone and going, you know what? I'm gonna look at all the pictures of my 2022, right? So I was looking through and the, the winter looked good and the spring looked good. But I gotta tell you, I was impressed with the summer, because your boy got swole for about a couple weeks. You know what I mean? I, there, was a, there was a moment where, there's, actually, there's this picture where I'm picking up my eight-year-old daughter to throw her, and those biceps are just flexing. Come on, somebody. And I'm like, whoo, baby, this should be your screensaver, dear. That's what I was telling my wife, you know what I mean? And, but in that moment, as much as I loved what I saw, when I went to get ready the next morning, this physique don't look nothing like that anymore. And why is that? Because I made a decision for a season and it unlocked blessing in my life. It unlocked growth in my life, but it all stopped, not because it wasn't possible to continue to be blessed. It wasn't that it wasn't possible for me to continue to get in better shape. It's because I stopped doing the basic foundational things that led to that fruit in my life. So my question to you today is, what's the things in seasons of your life that you've learned that you've tested, that you've seen fruit from, but there's actually no evidence of that anymore in your life. And it wasn't because God changed his mind. It had everything to do with you stopped doing the basic things. And so what I want to talk about is laced all throughout Scripture. And we talk about it 
as I said, usually one time a year, we take a concentrated area to talk about what does the word of God say about blessing in our life as it links to our finances, as it links to the resource that God gives you. Now, don't tune me out now and be like, oh, he's talking, here he is talking about money again. I'm here to point us to the word of God to realize the spiritual attachment to our finances that are linked to the blessing that we've seen. And oftentimes, if you, if you cringe a little bit or tense up a little bit in church around finances, it's probably because you've had a bad experience, you've heard maybe some poor teaching or poor stewardship of what was being taught, and you've ingrained this repetitive phrase in your mind about what finances are supposed to look like that actually aren't true, and today I'm hoping to undo maybe some things that you've heard incorrectly or, or maybe that you've seen incorrectly. It's, um, it's kind of like this. My, my daughter, who I mentioned a moment ago, who's and, uh, getting ready to turn eight years old, when she was a baby, my mom used to watch her. She used to watch her kids. How many of you are thankful for grandparents that will take the grandkids? Come on, somebody. And, and she would take um, my little daughter, and she'd sit her in the middle of the living room, and my mom would sing to her. And one of my mom's favorite songs to sing was Amy Grant's Baby, Baby. Come on now. Baby, baby, I'm taken with the notion. Right? Come on now. You're thankful for uh, Amy Grant. And she, my, my little daughter used to sit there and she'd rock back and forth and she'd go, baby, baby. You know, that's all that she could say. And she'd get a little older and my mom would sit her in, in the living room and she'd go, Evelyn, baby, baby. I'm taking with the notion. And I remember it was a couple of weeks after that that my daughter was in her room at our house and I hear her singing, baby, baby. So I get out my phone as any parent would and I'm trying to record and she's sitting there at about three years old. She's heard this song for three years now and this is what she's singing. Baby, baby, I'm taking away the lotion. Right, she was... <laughs> I mean, no, that's not the words. It, it might fit. <laughs> It might fit in the gap. It might match the rhyme. It might feel, it might satisfy a feeling in that moment, but it's not true. And truth be told, there are things in our life that we heard in a season that we've rehearsed over and over again in our mind, and we think it's truth until we see truth put in front of us and go, hang on a second. It's not taking away the lotion. <laughs> it's taking with the notion, right? And so I remember trying to tell her, I'm like, Evelyn, baby, 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 baby. You're beautiful, you're sweet, but it's taken with the notion. No, Daddy, it's taken away the lotion. She's taken it away. She's taken away the lotion, Dad. <laughs> and I had to help my daughter unlearn and then relearn. And so that's my goal over these next few moments is, is maybe everything I'm going to say today, you go, yep, I got it. And you know what? It's good to hear truth that we agree with because it begins to hit in our spirit on a new level to where it doesn't just become head knowledge, but it becomes engrafted into our heart. And maybe today it's going to be undoing all the taking away the lotion moments in your life that maybe you heard something out of context, maybe misinterpreted something or things along those lines. And I'm just here to bring a lens to what God says around our finances. Is that okay? Come on. And so we hear it said often that Jesus talked so much about money. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard a lot of pastors to try to kind of ease the tension in the room, go, well, listen. 11 of Jesus's 39 parables talked about finance. And although that is true, that's only part of the truth. Because yes, he did speak about parables in 11 of 39, uh, sorry, he spoke about finance in 11 out of 39 parables, but only a select few of them were actually about money. Everything else, he was using money as an illustration to something else. But what does that tell us? 
it tells that God sees, Jesus sees stewardship of our finances as basic foundational teaching. If you're ever talking to somebody and you were trying to find common ground, what do you often find common ground on? On the lowest common denominator. You try to find something foundational that you go, obviously you understand this, right? And let's build off of that. So Jesus, when talking about finances, would talk about the importance of it, but he would often use it as an illustration to deeper principles, if you will, because he saw it to be so common. So we agonize over what to do with our finances, but Jesus in his word seems to lay it out pretty simple. We've made it complicated, but the Bible's been very clear from cover to cover because Jesus was constantly talking about this. He wasn't just talking about what we were to give to, he would talk about the place that we're supposed to give from. He would say, God loves a cheerful giver. He constantly throughout his teaching, and, and then Paul would adopt this later in writing letters to the church we're gonna look at today, was always linking it back to your heart. Not just the things that he asks you to give to, or he commands you to give to, but God spent way more time talking about your heart and the place that you gave from. We read this in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six. I, I mentioned this verse last week, but I wanna just show it to you as a lens and we get into something deeper in a moment. But Matthew chapter six, verse 24, reads this. Jesus is speaking. If you got a red letter Bible, this is your red, is in the red words, right? He said this, he said, no one. Everybody said no one. No one can serve two masters. Now the Greek word serve there literally means to be in a slave to. In other words, I've given my rights to. So he says, I, you can't give your rights to two masters. You can't give your life to two separate things. He says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That word devoted is actually the Greek word agape, which is we know, we've heard before, if you've been in church for any length of time, is a Greek word for love, but not just any kind of love. It is an act of love to what God prefers. And so he says, either you hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he says this, you can't serve, same word, both God and money. It's interesting to me that he makes the parallel between God and money. He didn't say you can't serve God and Satan. He goes, that's, surely that's obvious. But he begins to point out the significance of our finance and the significance of our resource in a profound way. The dichotomy between I can't, be, I can't give my life to money and to God, one of two is going to rule my life. So Jesus is saying that the greatest competitor for your worship, the greatest competitor for my worship isn't the devil, it's money. Now think about that for a second. Now, I'm a believer that everybody over-exaggerates everything all the time. You, you know those people? You know what I mean? And can I tell you something? You're an over-exaggerator too. Now, you might not over-exaggerate to the measure of your mom or your dad or your coworker. Like There were thousands of people. There were 10. You know what I mean? Or, or my, favorite, uh, my favorite thing is when people go, everybody's saying, and then I go, who? And they go, um, uh, well, I am, and... Um, and, and my kids are, you know what I mean? And, and to them, everybody saying something is three people, you know what I mean? And, but I know that we over-exaggerate, but how many of you know God doesn't over-exaggerate? 
He's not an over-exaggerating God. He's an overdo-it God. He gives us not just enough, but more than enough. But when he's unpacking the significance behind something, he's not over-exaggerating. He's going, no, you can't, be, you can't give your life to God and to money. The greatest competitor for your worship, the greatest competitor for my worship is my finance. That tells me that money has a spiritual power in my life. It's not just a resource to help me buy goods, to help me cover a roof over my head, to get food, or to be able to bless somebody else, but it is our, a valuable resource that I can either be enslaved to or my life is given to God. There's only one of two. I can only operate and move underneath one of two understandings. Either money dictates my life or God dictates my life. Either I'm worshiping God who gave me my abilities and provided a way for me to receive income, or I'm thinking of that I am my own God and I'll produce my own way. This is significant, it's a spiritual principle that God is saying the greatest competitor to your worship is your finance. But can I tell you something? What God is after primarily in your life is your heart. So if you're sitting here today and, going, and you're thinking, I'm saying, God's after your money. He's not after your money. Last time I checked, he's not running out of gold in heaven. He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. There is no lack where he is. He is all. He's the creator of all, is above all, and will always rule over it all. He's not after your money. The thing that God is after is your heart. But scripture tells us that one of the symptoms to the sickness, if you will, one of the symptoms to God having your heart is my relationship with my finances. So if you're looking today and you're going, well, now, now we're going to take up three offerings today. No, we're not. No, we're going to look at our neighbor and see how much they gave. No, we're not. Because what God is after isn't just your obedience. Can I tell you something? Obedience is the most foundational elementary version of love. You don't want anybody to love you because they have to. Just imagine for us married people in the room. Imagine I went to my wife and I said, babe, I'm never going to cheat on you. She'd be like, that's kind of aggressive, but okay, never thought you would, but all right. And the reason I'm never going to cheat on you is because there's a commandment that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. So I want to, but I can't, because there's a law against that. Now, granted, it's nice that I'm not going to go cheat on my wife, but she doesn't really feel loved because I'm like, well, I have to, because there's a commandment. I don't want to go to hell. And so it's you and me, babe. Forsaking all others, I'm stuck with you. She wouldn't want any part of that. Why? Because that's an obedience, fear-driven thing, not a love and devotion thing. But my love for her is expressed. She's not even ever thinking that, that I would go and do such a thing. Why? Because there is an intimacy. There is a love. I have given my, my life. I've said we are together and we've produced children and we're here to complete the mission of God on our life. But I do that out of love and out of devotion and because I've given my heart to her. Not because there's a commandment that says, now, Ryan, I know you want to sleep with other women, but you got to just stay with this one. All right, God, I guess. It's not that. So the same thing is true about God in your finances. He's going, you better give. No, 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 no. I want your heart. Because if God has my heart, then everything I have is the Lord's. 
My time is the Lord's. My treasure is the Lord. My talent is the Lord. My resources are your Lord. Everything that I have is God's. Why? Because I've given myself to him. Are you with me? And so I don't, we don't want you to stay in a place of obedience. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It's like, well, pastor said I don't have to be obedient. No, no, no. Obedience is the highest form of pleasing God. There are things that we do out of obedience to his word. But that's the most elementary level. And for us as a church, we're here to grow spiritually. Can I tell you something? I want to see the fullness of God unlocked in your life. How many of you want to grow spiritually? And so part of growing spiritually at times is addressing things that I've been trying to avoid my whole life. Or it's embracing things that has brought pain in certain seasons of my life. But I understand there's certain things that I have to go after. I can think about the gym all day, all day long. I don't, but I could. But it's not until I get in there and I begin to lift some weights. It's not until I get in there and I begin to change my diet that I begin to see results. And so I don't want you to stay in a place of obedience. I I don't want you to do things because you have to, but rather because you want to. Have to says I can't live without it, and that's great. Want to says no matter in much or in little, in famine or in feasting, or no matter my season in sickness and in health, I still want you. That's the place that we have to get. So let's look at how the Apostle Paul would talk about it. Are you still with me this morning? Come on. Apostle Paul reading and writing to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2 says this. It says, dear friends, you have followed my instructions. He's writing this to the church and he's going, well done. I told you to do this. You did it. You follow my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. So he's saying, listen, when I was up here and I was talking about it, and I said, hey, you should do this, you did it. And that's great. But now that I'm gone, I need you to keep doing it. Then he says this, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence of fear. Some translations say working out your salvation with fear in trembling. So he says, listen, there's an obedience side to what we do as Christ followers. And then he says this, for God is working in you, watch this, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. What is Paul saying? That sure, we start with obedience. You should do this. This is the commandment that God gives us. But he says, listen, When we cross over from just obedience and when we continue to be faithful to being obedient to what God has said, that God then places both the desire, now I want to do it, and the power, the ability to do it, to do what pleases him. That's the thing. Once again, just using this very basic analogy that all of us can get around is that those of you who have spent any time in any sort of fitness program and things along those lines, and we're not, giving, we're not giving out gym memberships today. If any of you are wondering, like, does he work for a gym? No, it's just the illustration of the day, okay? I don't get any royalties if you begin to sign up for a gym today. And it's if you call right now, right? But you know that there's a hurdle that I've got to cross over where I move past the pain, I've moved past the effort, I move past all these things, you begin to cross over and your body begins to get energized and crave the growth. If you've ever fasted before, most people, fa- most people quit a fast on day two or three. But can I tell you something? Breakthrough happens after day three. But it is the pain and the groaning that your body does in day one, on day two. I had a guy say one time, I fasted once, 
worst 30 minutes of my life. You know what I mean? But, you know, day one, it hurts. Day two, hurts even more. Day three, ah! And then day four, you're like, what's food? <laughs> Look at all the, the time I have that I'm not eating. Because your body does begin to what? When you fast, it begins to detox all of these things. And then you go into something that is both natural in your body, but also spiritual that breaks through. And all of a sudden you're going, man, I, I can't wait to fast next. Now, I, I have to be honest with you. I haven't crossed over to I'm planning my next fast. You know, Pastor Ashley gets up here and he goes, I love fasting. And I'm like, God's still working on me, you know. That's still an obedience thing for me, right, you know. But he's saying, listen, Paul's going, listen, it starts with obedience, yes. And at times obedience brings pain and discomfort and it challenges our thinking makes us a little bit uncomfortable, but he says, and in continuing to do that, God's working in you, and he's going to give you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And at no point in the scripture is it talking about money. It's talking about obedience and obedience being connected to your heart. So we're, once again, I don't just do what he said because I have to, but I do it because I want to, and God gives me the ability to do it. In other words, we move from law-based living to grace-based living. We move from external obligation to internal motivation. I move from this is what I have to do to this is what I get to do. If you notice, any time I've ever shared around the offering, I've, I've opened up with the same statement. I'm going, come on, everybody, it's offering time. We get to give. You know what I hear from one or two of staff members who have fear and trembling? If they don't agree, they go, woo! <laughs> they just get to give. Don't we have to give? You don't have to give. You get to give. And giving starts painful at times in obedience because it begins to distort our way of thinking. What do you mean God's asking for a tithe? And we hear the word tithe and we all, we all shake. But can I tell you something? Tithe just means tenth. Would you get scared if I was like, all right, everybody, it's tenth and offering today. You'd be like, what is tenth? <laughs> tithe just means, it, means a tenth. It's a, it's a percentage. It's what God commands in his word. And it starts with obedience and it challenges our thinking and it challenges our, our flesh side of things. But it says, listen, when we move from obedience and we sow in obedience, God then gives us the motivation. He gives us the power, the desire to keep on going after it. So my goal today is not to make sure there's guilt on you. It's to remove the guilt off of you, to set you free today and to learn the grace of giving, to move from the obedience of going, well, it's tithes and offerings. I guess I better give something, to understanding there's a grace that God gives those who are givers. Are you with me this morning? So we're going to look at one more passage of Scripture. It's probably all we're going to have time for. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to land. We're going to spend the majority, if not the rest of our time together. Before we do, let me give you context. The Apostle Paul, once again, much like Philippians, is writing a letter back to the church in Corinth. Writing it there. And he had just gotten back from Macedonia. He had spent time in Corinth. He had established the churches in Jerusalem there. And then he had moved on and he was doing this campaign, if you will, this fundraiser, if you will, for this church in Macedonia and, and, and there. And they were very poor in the place that they had come out of. And he's writing back now. He's thinking about the church in Corinth that he got in front of and he championed and he taught and he discipled and he challenged and he empowered. And he writes these letters back that we call epistles back to the church and begins to talk about what God has been doing on his missionary journey. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 reads this way. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, in other words, the want to, not the have to, that God has given the Macedonian 
churches. Now, once again, Macedonia is an impoverished area. It's a poor area. They don't have a lot of natural substance or finance to begin to do anything. But he says, I want to tell you about the grace that God has given this church in Macedonia. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now look at the dichotomy he's saying. He said, their overwhelming joy, but they are in difficult times. Have you ever seen somebody who has a lot less than you, but for some reason is a lot happier than you? And you kind of have that moment and you go, hang on a second, I've got more in the natural than they do, but they've got something that I don't. I, I want what they have. If you never have, I want to encourage you maybe to go on a mission trip in a third world country. Things like that. I'll never forget my time spending in Guatemala. I was in Guatemala for about 14 days when I was 18 years old and on the mission field. And we were staying literally in the middle of the, the slums. There were these just dirt huts that we were sleeping in at the time. They had actually told us before we got down there, leave all your valuables at home. We've actually had a lot of gang-related activity. But come. And we're like, okay, can't wait. I'm going to die for Jesus, right? You know, and <clears throat> I was ready to be a martyr, I guess. And so we got out there and... And I'm sitting there and I'm in the streets and I'm thinking, they've just talked about all this gang-related activity, all of these break-ins and these fights that had broken out in the areas and, and cars running into homes and all this stuff. And we're like, this is where we're staying, great. You know, and I remember waking up early that first morning and I didn't, I woke up to two things. The chickens are a real thing in third world countries. I just want you to know, right? Just clucking away um, like I was in a Disney movie. And then the laughter of children. And I'm thinking to myself, these guys got nothing in the natural. They're in an impoverished, dangerous area. Back home, I've got all the, the cushy well-being of, of, you know, a roof over my head and safety and gated communities and all these sorts of things that I was living in at the time when, in college on campus and things along those lines. And they've got joy that I don't have. No, no, Paul's describing a very similar reality. He's saying, listen, they have nothing in the natural. They should be in wailing. They should be in mourning. But no, he says, they've got severe trial, but their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty developed something that welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, I tell you, that they gave as much as they were able. And, catch this, even beyond their ability, next sentence, entirely on their own. So in other words, it wasn't like Paul was going, you gotta give more. We counted up the offering and we counted the number of heads and today we're gonna take up a second offering because y'all should have gave more than that. That's not what Paul was doing. It literally welled up on the inside of them. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they, watch this, exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first, first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So in other words, they didn't just sow into the church that was happening there, but they said, you know what, Paul, as we're blessing you on your missionary journey, we wanna give above and beyond. So he urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this, once again, act of grace on your part. I've sent Titus back because I'm wanting to challenge you because some of you don't give. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth going, some of you aren't generous, some of you don't tithe, some of you aren't giving because you go, I don't, 
I don't have enough. How am I going to keep up with this? And he goes, no, there's, there's people that are giving out of what they don't have, out of a, a devotion to God. He's not saying that they're being reckless, but he's saying, listen, they've given of something much deeper, of their lives, and they've also given of their resource. And so he tells them this, verse 7, and since you excel in everything, and since you've been such an amazing church, you've excelled in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnest, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in not the obedience of giving, in the grace of giving. He says, don't just stop at obedience. You're growing in so many other ways. Grow in this area as well. And he's using this tension point, comparing and contrasting of going, listen, it's a heart issue, not a dollar amount issue. Because these are guys who have nothing, and yet they've got this revelation of giving and of generosity, and is their God being God and not money. And you're living in the polar opposite lifestyle, and it's a struggle for you to give. So those of you to say, he's saying, if you think I can't afford to give, he's saying, listen, you can't afford not to. And then he says this, that you would excel in the grace of giving. Watch this. He says, I am not commanding you. Can I tell you something today? Neither am I. Because I want you to be so in love with Jesus that you're constantly looking for ways to do more with your life so that others may live. The mission of this church is not to get after your wallet because that's not God's mission for you. Our mission as a church is that you would excel in all things, including the grace of giving, out of a devotion and out of a love to Jesus. So he's constantly bringing it back to the heart. He's saying, listen, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. That's the same thing that God says. He says what? In Malachi, he says what? Put me to the test. The word tithe, once again, means a tenth. Ten in scripture rep represents testing. So the tithe is a test to who's Lord of your life. It's the most simple test. It's the lowest form of obedience. Is God, can God trust you with more is determined by the test that is tithing. He says, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it, watch this, with the earnest of others. In other words, y'all, Macedonia's got this. Where y'all at? He says, for, in verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that through his poverty might become rich. So that you through his poverty might become rich. Verse 10. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were not only the first, sorry, the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So what does this tell me? That this church at one point in time went from obedience to love and devotion. But stopped making a practice of their obedience. And now it's been, we've gone back to law-based living instead of grace-based living. Because I don't just set up camp there. It's not this one-time decision. He's, he's describing this repetitive obedience 
and obedience turns my love and devotion, and I have the desire and the power to do what he's asked of me. Verse 11, then he says this, now finish the work. Don't just start, you got to keep going. Don't just start the race, finish the race. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according, watch this, to your means. In other words, I'm not asking you to give what you don't have, nor is God. There's a reason why we don't read a dollar amount in Scripture. Because it has nothing to do about the dollar amount. It has everything to do about the heart. And the most basic test of where is your heart is do you trust God with the first 10%. It's the most simple test. If I went over to Garrett and I said, Garrett, here's $10, my friend. But you know what? I just need to hold on to one of them. Garrett wouldn't be like, man, that's not, that ain't right. Why? Because the man was broke before I gave him $10. He had nothing. Now, he's, he's not broke in real life, everybody, all right? We're not saying we're like, oh, we got to pray for Garrett. We need to take up another offering, right? And he's just, all, if, if all I was asking back for was a dollar, he'd be like, yeah, sure. Because he understands that, listen, what's placed in my hand, it wasn't, it wasn't mine to begin with because my life given, it's been given so freely to me. It says, for if the willingness is there, verse 12, the gift is acceptable. Watch this. Watch this. Mind-blowing moment. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. What does that mean? If you're not willing, it's not an acceptable gift. If you're giving because, man, I just feel like I've been beaten into giving. That's not bringing anything pleasing to God. But he says, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. He's just coming back time again. I'm just checking your heart. To move just from obedience, that's foundational. It's important to be obedient. But to cross over into love and devotion. Matthew 25, verse 29, the end of the parable, the talents that Jesus would say. He says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Those who sow, God says he can entrust you with more. You'll live in abundance. But those, he says he gives seed to the sower, not seed to the hoarder. There's no lack of supply. They haven't run out of gold in heaven. They haven't run out of cattle in the thousand hills. They haven't run out of seed. But God is constantly sending seed to the sower because he'll get it to you, pardon the preacher rhyme, if he can get it through you. Because my relationship with money dictates the health of my heart. My relationship with money is a direct symptom to the health of my heart. It's the most basic test of devotion. And he says, put me to the test. Why does he say, it's the only time in all the scripture that you see God say, test me. Why? Because he knew how thick our heads were and how hard and how skeptical that we would be. That What do you mean if I give 10%? 
that the 90% blessed is better than what scripture describes the 100% cursed. The kingdom's upside down. You want to live? Die. That makes sense. You want more? Give. What? You want to be forgiven? You forgive first. No, 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 no. It's this upside down kingdom the whole way around. But he's sitting there and what is it? The tithe is a test of my heart because we would read famously Matthew 6, 21, where my treasure is, there my heart is as well. You want to know where your heart is? Just ask your bank for your bank statements. I have some friends who are not necessarily financially savvy. So therefore, they're not close friends, they're just friends. You know what I mean? There's certain people you want close, certain people you want to keep at a distance. And right before the pandemic, actually, I think it was, yeah, it was right before the, or the very beginning of the pandemic, they were like, Ryan, you ever heard of this app called Robinhood? I'm like, Robinhood, like men in tights? Robinhood, no, 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 Robinhood, it's investments. I'm like, I didn't know you had money to invest. You need to get on this app, man. We throw in some money in there, and the numbers are just going up. I said, where'd you invest? They go, I don't know. I threw some money in there, and the money's going up. And I kid you not, we're having lunch together, and they got their dang phone in their hand, and every three seconds, they're refreshing the page. They go, oh, oh 10 more cents up, <laughs> 15 more cents up. Their food is cold because they're looking at the phone going, I just made 30 cents. Now, they don't know what company they invested in, and they ain't got any actually interest in the well-being of that company, but because they put their treasure there, their attention has gone there, and their heart has gone there. Some of us check our bank account more than we check on our kids. <laughs> you know, we're like, where's the, how's the finance world? Johnny? <laughs> he was around here somewhere. <laughs> Why? Because my treasure's there. And where my treasure is, my heart is. And so God, once again, he's not after your wallet. He's after your heart. And all I've come to do today is point us back to a very simple principle that you've heard if you've been in church any length of time. You've heard it taught about, preached about. You might have had mixed reviews on how you saw it stewarded by somebody else. But can I tell you something? When you stand before God, when you slip from this life into the next, You'll, hold, you'll be held to an account on the decisions that you made, not the decisions you observed others of making. And although I'm thankful for example, godly examples that God puts in our life of the right decisions to do, but I can't live my life based off of somebody else's obedience. I've got to do it after my own because God's after my heart. God's here to test my heart. God's going to judge me based on my heart. So my very simple question to you today, I had so much more notes, but another time. Why are we doing something like the blessed life? I'm telling you, I really encourage you. Just, it's an hour of your Wednesday, 7.30 to 8.30. Put the kids to bed early, whatever you need to do, or let them stay up a little extra longer to be part of that. Why is that? We're wanting to equip you on how to steward what, once again, God said was the greatest competitor for your worship. Well, if Jesus said it was my greatest competitor, I need to get serious about it. Because I want to live a life devoted to God. Not a Sunday devoted. Not a season devoted. 
but a life devoted. And the second I come into a relationship with Jesus, my relationship with money becomes spiritual. You give seed to the sower, the most basic test. So Paul's saying, listen, I don't want you just to give, although you should. But I want you to grow in the grace of giving. So it moves from, I feel like I have to do this, to, man, I can't wait to do this. I just want to cross over to being a cheerful giver. So the way I want to close this message, it's not going to have a, a hands up moment. How many of you want to be better with money? <laughs> but I want you to just simply ask yourself this question. I want you to ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this message? I've sat here and just been your tour guide today through a few scriptures about what his word says and the testing of our heart. But I want you just to have a moment and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? You may feel like, man, I got tithing on lock. I've been doing it forever. I, I overgive. I give more than 10%. I, I sow into this and sow into that and all that. And so God, this might just be a pat on the back message for you that goes, well done, keep going. Keep growing in the grace of giving. But for some of you, the Holy Spirit might be touching on something that you've been avoiding, you've been running from. It's been a little tense in your life. So let's just ask the Holy Spirit just for a moment. Then we're gonna do two more things and we're gonna be all done. We're gonna be out of here in the next eight minutes. But I just wanna fall silent, allow Anderson to play and just ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Those of you online today, you're watching this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you in this message today? This isn't about anything else or anyone else. It's about what, God, what is God saying to you? Can you trust me with the tithe? Can you trust me with your finances? God, we thank you today for your word. It's still a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It brings correction, alignment. It purifies and aligns, it renews our mind. It challenges our flesh. It challenges our natural tendencies and desires, but it molds us into your original design for our lives. God, we're thankful for your word. It strengthens. And Holy Spirit, as you're speaking to countless hearts right now, what would you have us do? What's the, what's the response to this message? Every message has a response. It might not look like getting out of your seats and coming down to an altar, but the word of God, the gospel demands a response at all times. May we embrace your word today. May we move from just the obedience of giving to the grace of giving. Maybe we haven't been obedient and maybe that's the thing you're testing us in right now saying, I've got grace for you to grow in, but it starts with obedience, but it'll never stay there. It moves with a grace, a strengthening.